And welcome back to A3's The Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Beckwith. We have Logan Kilgore in the house, Manav Shaw, and AJ Jefferson. So today, we want to sit down and talk a little bit about training like an athlete, because I think that's one thing that gets missed, not only when you're athletes in training, but in general, I think people miss the mark there of understanding why it's important to train through multiple planes of movement, how training different muscle groups all at the same time, going through a plethora of different exercises actually benefit you from a functional standpoint. And the more functional you are, the stronger you are, the better that you understand force, the better you can produce force and so on and so forth. So I'd like to start opening this up and I can talk for hours about this. So I'm going to try not to talk too much because <laughs> as you guys it. know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I preach it all the time, but I would like to talk to you guys about your careers, what you've done, and how changing and manipulating your training to be more athletic based than, for example, what we've all grown up being taught is that we need to learn to squat, 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 bench, 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 clean, 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 deadlift, deadlift, deadlift. And it's all about being super strong, which is great. Absolutely, you wanna be strong, but at the same time, if I can only be strong and I don't understand those multiple planes of movement, I don't understand the spinal mobility and how the abs work and integrate into the movement and how absorbing force will actually make you produce force better and how the brain works with all that. If we don't do that kind of thing, we're going to plateau out. And if we plateau out, then most likely injuries coming. Mm. And I want to get it started with that. And anybody feel free to yeah. hop in on that. I think that first, like, it's just a wild time that we are in this stage of our career because I feel like we were kind of the last and I mean, you were kind of Ryan, when you were coming through college, you're in the middle of the, you know, like you said, bench, clean, deadlift squat days, but that was our, you're a little bit younger, but our high school days, like, you know, where you don't really see that anymore. All these young athletes are getting the benefit from all everybody that's been around this game for the last 20 years, their research and their developments, right? Like right. young kids are coming in and learning that, you know, the way that their brain works when they jump, you know, is impacted just as much by when they land as when they, you know, uh, we were on the Vertimaxes when we were young and you got to get strong and you got to put sandbags on your back and jump because that's how you <laughs> jump higher. Right. But it's just wild how much we've improved. And you look at, you know, athletes playing so much further into their careers now, um, you know, specifically in football, one of the most violent games where shortest career time. And then you've got, you know, certain people playing into their forties now, and it's not because they're out there lifting the heaviest weights. It's because they're lifting to prevent injury. And I think that, uh, that's one of the biggest changes is, you know, early on in your, I, I do think there's still room when young guys are developing where, you know, I'll remember freshman football where you, you know, you got to run this, you got to do these up downs, you got to do this, all this stuff. I think part of that is just a weed, kids out yeah. that are not going to do this. You know what I mean? But once you get to a point, whether it's in college and you're, you know, somebody's invested money in you to have an education, I do think that the, the mind kind of switches from, you know, yeah, you're going to have those hard workouts where people are still going to be, you know, weaned off and that type of thing. But it really changes to how do I get the most out of an athlete? And I think that's no kind of where we are now, right? Like when we train um, and we'll get into that as far as our off seasons or in season, it's all with an objective in mind. You know, if you're trying to gain weight because season just ended, you got to put that weight back on the off season, that type of thing, you're going to train one way, but it just, it's just funny to think like how much, if we just started now, if we could go back to fifth grade now, how much further ahead we are. And I think you just see that when all the records get broken, people are like, how are people getting faster? How are people? Well, they're training better and, and training that's kind better, of what we're all better, yeah. sleeping, you know, all exactly. those things. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. And that's the thing, you know, it's like you, you, you get into the training philosophies of what's going on and, and the majority of it is, you know, especially in college and it, and it still happens now in college, but you become, you become the athlete of the strength coach. Right. Right. So it's all about the numbers. How much did you do this? You know, what, what's our improvement? So on and so forth. And that's great. And you're going to get strong and you're going to learn a lot, but ultimately it comes down to the fact, are we training power lifters or are we training athletes mm. and that's an important factor to think about and that's why it's fun working with a group of guys like you is we got a golfer we've got a quarterback a defensive back a pitcher a first baseman and everybody needs a little bit different right it's just a little bit different do we all need to be athletic absolutely 
but your reaction time and what you're needing to do is different than his, even though you play the same sport. Right. And your rotation is different than what Art's rotation is. And even though both you and Justin throw for a living, it's two totally different things. And so that's what's so fun about it is is making it athletic based because biomechanics are biomechanics, ground force is ground force. And that's what makes it fun. And when you start diving into the plyometric side, to the core side, to to the visual side, and you start coupling all this stuff together and you change it and manipulate it in little pieces for different positions, different movements. I mean, really that's where it gets fun. And like you said, I think that's where the prolonged careers come from. Right. Because ultimately just the three of you in this room right now, you've already surpassed what the average career is. Both of you have almost doubled it. Well, Mm -hmm. you have already doubled. You might have almost tripled it at this point. You know, it's, it's, it's to that point that because you're still able to get up and walk around and I feel better now than I did when I was training at 30 and I'm 10 years after that, 11 years after that. And it, it comes down to the way that you train and the way you treat your body and that functional side of it. And I think you see a lot of it, Manav, of just manipulating your knee or manipulating how we're going through, like with the single leg squats today, where Right when we started the workout, we talked about we're going to have a dominant side, right or left side. Well, yours is your left, but your right is your back foot, right? And now understanding and feeling that all of that musculature that started firing on you, you're like, oh my gosh. Well, now I get this leg a little bit stronger. I have better control in my backswing. And now that much more power can get transferred to the front as mm-hmm. I come through and make contact with the ball. And again, if if we weren't focused on that athletic movement side of things and we were only focused on you squatting four or 500 pounds or deadlifting a house or whatever that might be or mm-hmm. benching, whatever. Yeah. And that was our focus. Then we don't find that. Yeah. I mean, today was cool because it was it, it just showed 20 years of posting up on my left leg and how much difference that has compared to my right. Um, same thing with, I think if you're right-handed and you play basketball, you're always doing a right-handed layup. So your left left leg, you're going to be able to jump off higher, right? But um, golf in particular, you want to be able to balance out your body because you swing in one direction all day, right? So to balance out the left and the right can only benefit everything you do in terms of like rotation and um, just posting up on one side. But if you can load into the right side better, you're just going to be able to post up that much more you know, efficiently through the ball. Right. Because it comes down when we're, when we're talking about that, about absorbing force. Now you're creating more and then your timing changes a little bit, which is going to change the swing and so on and so forth. But that's what you're good at. That's why you're a pro that understanding that manipulation and then being able to change the speed of the hands. And then that goes down into depth perception, peripheral vision, all those things that you work on constantly. Now those adjustments happen without even having to really think about it. It becomes kind of a subconscious thing because you are working on all of those things all the time. And that's really what it comes down to is if I can treat my body in a workout to go through multiple different ranges of motion and multiple planes of motion, now there's no surprises because nothing that we do is scripted in a game situation in, right. in sports. It's not scripted. And so the the injuries typically happen when something outside of the norm appears and then we tense up and when we tense up we do something incorrect and then bang we're hurt and that's where training like an athlete comes in and this is stepping off of a curb or getting out of your truck it's the same thing that if anything changes even in the slightest we freak out and if we can train in a way that we're moving through all these different planes and we're introducing plyometrics from the upper to the lower and different rotational positions and so on and so forth, then we're not surprised because we've done all of these different movements. We've done all of these different positions and our brain is going, okay, I've practiced all this. I've visualized myself. And that's a big one that we'll get into that. I have visualized myself being in these positions on the court, on the field, on the course, whatever that is on the track. And so now when those things present themselves, it doesn't freak me out. I'm able to just move right into it. Well, going back to the brain. Yeah. Something I've never trained in my life until I got to A3 was um, the vision stuff we do. So I kind of want to hear you explain what vestibular training is and how that can help someone. Because for me, I don't know what it is really. I just like do it every day. But (laughs) I get on the course and all of a sudden I can feel like, oh, I'm 50 yards away instead of, you know, like just like my numbers are way better. I know how far away from the hole I am. Mm -hmm. I can see things more, more efficiently. I know like. I know where the hole is if I'm looking down at the ball just because my 
my peripherals gotten that much better. Yeah. Also, you can probably you talk hit, about that too, right? Yeah. Well, also you hit the ball almost in the same spot every time. So <laughs> that's not really fair because when we were on number four this weekend, I couldn't find my drive. And I was, I literally hit my drive left in the bark and when I was about 80 yards ahead of me and I'm back here looking for my ball and, and he's like, bro, you're right here. I mean, I think that that has a little something to do with it. Has it has a too. little something. Yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. A, Let's look. not discredit your natural <laughs> yeah, ability exactly. to strike a Lo- golf ball. Logan was looking a hundred yards in the wrong direction. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like bud, let's, let's go work on the depth reception. Yeah, you got to yeah. watch the ball a little longer. Yeah. Oh, I was man. already in the cart by the time that one landed. I was mad, but um, no, I, I do think that the vision stuff, um, I know you can touch on that, uh, you know, pretty incredible, you know, in depth. Um, the other thing I want to swing back to after you talk about the vision, it, yeah. don't let me forget. But um, when you were talking about working one way on the swing, mm-hmm. um, I think I've told you this before, but, uh, you know, I think when I got to New Orleans in 2014 was the first time I'd ever heard how many, you know, really broken down the throwing motion mm-hmm. and how much work we did in the weight room opposite of our throwing motion. So instead of, you know, working your accelerators that make your arm move forward. Yeah, work the it's working your decelerators yep. to strengthen up the slowing down of your arm. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. how important that is also. I think you can touch on on kind of both of yeah, those. Yeah, absolutely. So the we'll go back, start with the the whole visual system. So um taking a three-prong approach to athleticism has proved to be extremely successful. And that would be your visual system. Then you have your vestibular system, which is for any of you who've ever leveled a TV or a a picture or anything like that in the house and you have a liquid that sits between two little lines that shows you that you're level well you have liquid in your inner ear and that's your vestibular system that tells you when you're level and when you're not so your equilibrium as some people like to talk about and so that can be trained and that can be manipulated to work together with your visual system so like we do the vor vestibular ocular reflex is what it's coined as And so it's trying to get those two systems to coordinate. And then you work through like we do a bouncing VOR and stuff like that. So now you're working into the proprioceptive system because now I'm moving through space too. So I'm going up and down or walking A's or whatever it might be. Super simple, right? Like people at home would just need two thumbs to do it. Yeah. Thumbs. Yeah. We, yeah. Thumbs, sticks, pencils, pens, a water bottle, look at the top of it. So basically sticking it out straight in front of you, and we should release a video with this, and you find something to look at. It doesn't even need a thumb. You can just look at a spot on the wall, and you're just staring at it, and then you're moving your head in either direction, up, down, side to side, diagonal, while keeping your your ocular nerve, your eyes, fixed on one thing, and then you're moving your head through space. So ultimately what's happening is I'm telling my brain I'm safe. I can get my eyes focused on something and I can move around and I'm not falling. Well, now my spatial awareness just got enhanced. So that's what you're talking about. So before swinging a bat, before swinging a club, before running down a pole vault runway, before taking a snap, you know, whatever, you don't necessarily have to, you know, one of the things that most athletes are kind of afraid of is looking stupid. And so if I'm sitting in the back of a pole vault runway and I make my pole vaulters do this because pole vaulting is weird anyway. So <laughs> I make them just stand back there and look at their thumb and everyone else like, what was that? And pole vault is very cerebral, right? right? So people see somebody doing something like, mm-hmm. well, what are they doing? But maybe yeah. I should be doing that. And then, it, <laughs> you know, and I can't tell you how many times I've done eye pushups, like in the locker room at my locker. Yeah. And people have asked me, what are you doing? Yeah. I'm like, I'm working on my depth perception. <laughs> yeah. So when yeah. we do ball drills, I'm, it doesn't hit me in the face. Yeah. So here's time to explain it right now. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so here's an example. If anybody's ever watched baseball, like Major League Baseball, and you'll see a guy, uh, whether in the batter's box or in, you know, in the uh, in the circle before, you'll see him take his bat or softball player too, and you'll see them push their bat away from them. They'll push the tip away, and you see them focused on the bat, and then they bring it back into their nose, push it out, and then they bring it back in. So if anybody's ever seen that before, that's what AJ's talking about. So there's tracking, there's depth perception, there's cicadic eye movement where you're actually moving your eyes side to side while in finding targets while your chin is neutral. So even think about driving down the street. So you're driving down the street and something happens on your right and you turn your entire head to the right and you go, okay, well, nothing was really that bad over there. But then all of a sudden you just went blind over here. Like I can't see AJ and he's sitting right to my left because I turned my head to the right. Now, when I go back like this, what if something happened all of a sudden over here? Think about returning a kick thing. I mean, I could go on and on and on with all these different examples, but if I would have kept my chin neutral and something happened to my right side and I just bounced my eyes over there, I can still see AJ and everything that he's doing right now. 
I can see my knob moving, you know, so on and so forth. So it's quicker for me to move my eyes back and forth and I'm eliminating blind spots. Now, when you start thinking about going through, you know, the proprioceptive side of things, box jumps, depth jumps, lateral lunges, catching a ball, running through space, going into your drop back, swinging a, a golf club, whatever, all of a sudden peripherals change, spatial awareness changes and heightened awareness happens because now all of those systems are turned on. And when those systems are turned on, now all of a sudden I have the ability to make a much better decision where I am in space. And that's a really important thing to understand. Now the deceleration versus the acceleration, that goes back to, you gotta be able to absorb force as well as you can produce force, right? And so when I start, you know, when we talk about the decelerators in the arm or a kicker or like your swing, so you come into your swing and you have to be able to stop with your obliques, it's the same thing. It's the exact same principle. It's all relative when we start talking about that stuff because my brain will only allow me to perform as well as I can slow it down. If I can't slow it down, then I'm going to hurt myself. You know, at some point I'm going to get hurt. So when you start talking about a quarterback in the NFL and the amount of reps that you're going to take, not to mention by this time you're in your 20s. So how many footballs have you already thrown? And, you know, from a mechanic standpoint, now you're bigger, you're faster, you're stronger, you're throwing harder, all of these things. And if I'm not working on the decelerators, something at some point, whether it's my shoulder or my elbow, you look at baseball players with Tommy John surgery. I mean, you got to look at all of those things that those types of injuries can be avoided at some point in your career, learning how to move better, decelerate it and learning to absorb force. Look at the ACL pandemic that we've got going on right mm -hmm. now. It's probably a bad word to use pandemic right now, but <laughs> you know, in, in our world it is, I mean, the ACL is such a big deal and it happens all the time in open space. And it's one of my biggest pet peeves in injuries because it just shouldn't happen. If you're a highly trained athlete and what you do every day is working out joints like that shouldn't just rip. That just shouldn't happen. And a lot of that is simply because, again, when we start talking about absorbing force, you're creating, when you're sprinting, jumping, landing, swinging, you're creating 10 times your body weight of ground force. Well, after I do that 10,000 times, so take your body weight, anyone out there, take your body weight, multiply it by 10. Or sorry, let me go back. Let me take your body weight, yeah, multiply it by 10, and then multiply it by the number of reps you've taken or the number of steps or sprints or whatever it is that you've taken. So now all of a sudden I'm creating ground force on a daily basis that could be in the millions going into my body. Now, if I'm a DB, a wide receiver, a quarterback going into a drop, if I'm a soccer player, you know, whatever, 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 or him taking a swing or someone like Art swinging the bat and their knee just goes like this, number one, their timing is off because I'm rotated to the outside wall of my foot and then I have to rotate in to create force in the direction I wanna go. Now that knee is just moving in space back and forth and it's, it's by itself. And so if I don't create the spring straight from my ankle to my knee to my hip, and then that knee rotates out externally or internally rotates out of position, now it's out by itself. Mm. So one timing's off, but two, now force is going directly into the leg. And that's a problem mm -hmm. because after that 10,000th time, or maybe it's the hundredth time, who knows? It depends on the person. Things start popping. And in what you guys do for a living, that cannot happen. Yeah. Just like, got to go somewhere, right? It's got to go somewhere. And when you put a joint out by itself in space, it's going to go there. Right. Yeah. And a knee is just not strong enough to support this whole system. Gotta keep it right. in line, making sure it goes to the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where the adductors and the glutes and the abs come in. And that's why we do so much of that. Because we're trying to train those systems to activate when you go through movement. Right. I feel like it's, it's interesting to also... Um, you know, for anybody that's, I mean, you, you run a, you run a gym, um, and a training facility. So you've got, I don't know what the numbers are, but just as many non athletes mm -hmm. in there. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think what is interesting to me is, and part of the whole training, like an athlete, um, what's interesting to me is you, you don't have to be a professional athlete to benefit from these things. Whether you're sitting at a computer all day, mm -hmm. if you train your core, your everything else differently, your back won't feel the same as it does if you're not training you know, properly. Whole change, right? Your yeah, whole your whole, everything. Change. And yep. I mean, I think that that's important for people to know also is like, you know, they might not be a defensive back, but at the end of the day, you know, I saw somebody after our workout and there he did not look like an athlete today that you were working on his running form. It looked like somebody that maybe would be, you know, selling cars or something like that. I mean, it's important 
for people to know that like, just because there's, you know, just because they've always went to the gym and walked on a treadmill for 30 minutes and then went over and used a couple of machines that weren't being used. Right. Doesn't mean, you know, just because they're not playing on an adult softball league, doesn't mean that they shouldn't train this way. Right. I mean, I think that that stuff's important to, to know. And that's what we were, I was actually talking to that gentleman today about was, you know, what happens as you get older and you guys all have friends that have retired that are now, you know, hanging around. I've got friends that can barely walk now mm-hmm. and it comes down to mobility and, you know, your joints only work as well as the muscles are connected to and the muscles only work as well as the joints they're connected to. And if you don't work both, you're going to have issues and that's part of the problem. And so like, I was talking to him today about it was the fact that if you're not going to move, like what did you do when you were a kid? When you were 10 years old, 12 years old, 14 years old, you're running around, you're jumping off of stuff, jumping onto stuff, and your body recovered and it did all that stuff because you were always mobile. You were always on your feet. You were always moving around. But then 30 years goes by and you haven't done it since you were in high school. Well, yeah, you're going to most likely be a little bit overweight. You're going to be in pain in those major areas where like the 405 of nerves are happening in that lumbar spine or in the cervical spine where it's entering into and coming out of your brain, those are like the hot spots. Then you got the hips and the knees and they're, they're absorbing way too much force all the time. So then we get pain and it's literally just relearning how to walk, relearning how to move. And like, you know, if, if you were to stand straight up and, you know, you get told to point your feet out, so that you can stand in a better position with better posture, kind of like a ballet dancer, right? Well, yeah, that works because you're turning on your glutes. And if my glutes are turned on, then my abs are turned on and my abs are turned on, my spine's in a better position. Problem with it is if that's our only go-to, it's just like learning how to squat. If you're learning how to squat by pointing your toes and your knees out as an athlete, that's a really bad thing because you're going to default to that stress. Everything we do is based on a roadmap in our brain based on the stress we have put on ourselves. So if I squat and I put load on my body and my knees are out, my toes are out. Now, when I go to run, I go to swing, I go to throw, I go to back up, I go to drop back, I go to do all these things. I'm going to have my knee out, my toe out. I've created that. Now it's the same thing for the general population walking around. Well, now my toes are out a little bit. I'm balancing on the outside walls of my feet, so on and so forth. Now my knees are caving in when I walk and my lower back hurts and my glutes aren't turning on anymore because of the way I'm going through and what part of my foot's hitting the ground. And those things are important. So yeah, going back to training like an athlete, treating your body like an athlete, because ultimately being human, walking, jogging, stepping up on going upstairs, that's athletic. Mm -hmm. And so you got to train that way. And it doesn't mean that you, like you said, you don't have to be a professional athlete. We don't need you in there squatting 300 pounds, just going through the range of motion. Even if it's body weight only, you're still solidifying movement patterns in your brain that are going to make things flow better and have the nerves communicate better from the ground to the head. Like your nervous system travels at 268 miles an hour. Think about that. Wow. 268 miles an hour, you're six feet tall. It's not going very far. (laughs) So think about how many times it can travel from the ground to your brain and back down in a matter of a second, in the matter of a minute. Think about that. That's wild. 268 miles an hour. 268 miles an hour. Hmm. So from the time you walk in the door of the lobby to the time that you put your stuff in the cubby to the time that you're on the turf about to roll out or stretch... That took you three minutes, probably. So now think about how tall you are and the ground force entering into your body and it pinging up and down 268 miles an hour. How many times has your brain gone through what's going everything in your spatial and your spatial awareness, your surroundings? How many times have you calculated mm-hmm. what's going on from a nervous system standpoint? That's an average, right? Two, 268. Mm-hmm. That's how fast it's going from the brain all the way down. I feel like when I train the vision, it gets my average higher. So I could like process information quicker and react faster because like the, the board you have, mm-hmm. it, that that's what it trains. Mm-hmm. Reaction speed, right? Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I did it, you do it for 120 seconds. I got 135 seconds. Mm-hmm. So 120 dots, 135 yeah, yeah. seconds. Yeah. And now I'm at like 80. Right. So, yeah, so, so do the math, right? So, so clearly it's gotten way faster. Right. So you went from a one point something. Yeah average reaction time and contact time to now a 0.73 maybe something like that 
So you went from maybe a 1.2 to a 0.73. Mm-hmm. Now a 0.5 second differential in reaction time. That's huge. I mean, think not about just your for athletics, all right? Like if you're in anything, if you're yeah. doing a, if you're driving, if you're doing a day trade, you're going <laughs> to want to think quicker. Oh yeah. You're going to want to be on it. You're going to want to be on it. Exactly. Right. I mean, That's the difference between catching the ball and not catching it. If you right. think about it, ball's yeah. coming at you. Can you get your hands up fast mm-hmm. enough? Or if you see it, Yep. Stepping into the pocket or getting sacked for sure. Yeah. Right. Or noticing what's going on on the course and being able to manipulate your swing to where you want it. I mean, 0.5 seconds, that's a big deal. You talk about 40 times is a big time too. It's a big jump too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think about your start. If you have a better, like if you get into a better position and you're able to jump off the line better. And I just went from a four, eight to a four, six. Without doing anything to your body. It's, it's just like it's the, just the DN we had in there yeah. today. We're working on yeah, his start. A, yeah, I had a kid this morning. Now, I'm look at me. I'm not a DN. Like, it's I'm never going to play that or never have played that position in my life. But he was in a position. His hand was on the line. His foot was probably three foot behind. So it was almost like he was going to do a bear crawl. And so he was racing his buddy, and he's his first step was to the line. Mm. And I said, so you just you have to understand what you just did. You just got into the most explosive position that you could find, and your first step was on the line. It was zero. Yeah. It was zero. Yeah. Exactly. So now I got to think if I'm running a 40, a 20, whatever that might be, or if I have, if, if you're already in a shotgun position mm-hmm. and then you drop back, I am now 10 yards away from you. Right. Okay. So if I'm a DN and I'm trying to not only run around or, you know, do some kind of switch underneath. Now I've got 12 to 15 yards that I've got to run to get to you. Mm-hmm. Well, I just added a lot of time because my first step was on the line of scrimmage. Right. That's a problem. And so getting him to understand that, that let's say if I'm, we'll use the 40 or the 100 meters as an example. Well, in the 40, I still have 40 more yards to travel and I'm already out of my stance. Mm. Right. Or I have to run 100 meters, which in some cases is 50 strides. And well, my first stride's already gone. I just came out of the blocks and my first step's on the line. Well, now what am I going to do? Everybody's already 10 meters down the road, right? So it's understanding those things and the reaction time of it, the body position, because that is reaction time. And so we changed that. And I you know, basically told him, okay, get into a lunge position where you feel comfortable, get closer to the line. Now just squat down and put your hand on the ground. He jumped out and his first step was two yards off the line. Hmm. I said, now think about getting to a quarterback. Is that going to help you? Of course it is, right? right? And it's just getting to understand leverage and position, reaction, all of those things play into it. And if you're not doing those things every single day, then again, it goes back to that whole concept with the brain. If you don't use it, you lose it. Right. I feel like there's nothing you like to see more, AJ, when somebody's trying to run a route against you and his first step is when he squares up at the line of scrimmage and gains no yards. Absolutely. You're not, you're not being attacked. You're not being threatened at all. That, Man, that always cracks me up. I can't, I can't even stress how much like functional movement and getting off the line at the right time, like how important that is. Yeah. Right. When I was coming out of college, I didn't stress any of that stuff. It was big, fast, you know, <laughs> be strong. Like I was telling this story the other day when I went to the combine, I was 205. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever been 205 in my life, right? <laughs> right? I put on that weight thinking I need to be big, fast, and strong. I go to the combine, still test kind of well. Probably could have jumped higher, ran faster if I was at a wait, nice Wait, hold on. He said jump at. higher. He had like a 40-some odd. Well, yeah. Still, I, <laughs> still, 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 I probably, yeah. probably could have maybe got another half an inch if I was you know, right. five pounds less. But then I get you know undrafted to Arizona. And the moment I get there, they tell me I'm too heavy. Yeah, right? some weight. I'm, I, my understanding is that you need to be big, fast, strong, not that you need to be functional in your movement, be able to move fast with pads on all this stuff. So I drop the weight, put pads on, I feel good again. But um, a lot of the functional movement stuff that we do never worked on in college. So like, like you said, a lot of these kids have the advantage now because they're focused on that stuff early. It just, the sky's the limit once you get to college because you have all of that in your repertoire, you know, in your tool belt and you can use that stuff and it makes you just, just a better athlete right. for not just for us, but for regular people too. And I think that's part of it. There's been a lot of people like me, uh, you know, a lot of athletes that have come through it the hard way of lift heavy, lift heavy, lift heavy. You get hurt. Like my senior year in track, my, I mean, I was standing in the back of the classrooms. I couldn't sit down. I had a stem unit on because my back hurt so bad, but then you deal with it and you play and you run and you do all these things. And people have gone through that and they go, there's got to be a better way. 
And I got really lucky in my career that my decathlon coach, Bart, was a total, like 100%, this guy was all about mechanics. And he's like, you will be stronger. You will be faster if we make you more efficient. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time someone had ever said that to me because before it was grind, 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 grind. And this guy was like, well, no, back up for a second. And I would warm up with my shoes off. I would cool down with my shoes off. There were times I did hurdle workouts with no shoes on because he wanted me to feel the ground and how much force I was creating. And the way my foot hit the ground is the first time I'd ever done that. And yeah, I took some spills and my feet hurt and all those things. But I started to learn what it felt like to stay light. Right. And that was a really important thing for me. Because at the time I was already coaching, you know, I'd coach at the schools that I was coaching at. I was, you know, I was working out all the time, but then it made me a better coach because I understood it. I felt it. And I, like we were talking about this morning, AJ was, you know, one of the biggest things about A3 is you will never do something a coach hasn't done because ultimately in order for you to get better, not that I'm a professional golfer, but I understand rotation and I understand ground force. So am I ever going to hit a golf ball like Manov? No never going to happen in a million years, no matter how hard I try, because I could never put in the hours that he has put in. But can I get you to understand ground force with your knee and your foot and how you rotate into it and all that? Mm -hmm. Yes, because I have done that, just not in the same sport. So it comes down to that understanding of how the biomechanics actually work. Am I ever going to tell you anything about throwing a football that you don't know? No, never, nor would I ever try. Mm -hmm. But when we start talking about your drop back and where your foot could be and how you can transition from this to that, yeah, I can help with that. Anything else, that's right. you, right? And so it's getting to understand those concepts of how the body works and then manipulating those things inside of a workout and not, you know, taking that time, like you're talking about, AJ, to be functional inside the workout. Now, that doesn't mean like we've watched Logan in here put 300 pounds on the bar and go for it. <laughs> doesn't mean you can't do that. And I think that's a misconception when you start talking about being athletic and being functional in your workouts. People think, oh, well, you don't lift heavy. Well, that's not true. Not even kind of. But if you can move it well, then move it well. Because I am the I'm the kind of I'm of the philosophy of I would rather have a guy or anyone, any athlete take 400 pounds and move it really, really fast five or six times, 10 times than I would prefer someone to move 500 pounds once. Right. I want to know that you can hold those positions and that you can replicate it over and over and over again, rather than just being a one time hitter. That's like, hey, great job. You can lift so much weight. But when it comes down to it, how are you going to react to the stress of having to do it over and over and over again? And that is being athletic. Right. Even yeah. if it's heavy. Yeah. And I think that like, you know, you've seen us in the off seasons, but, mm -hmm. you know, AJ knows too even as a quarterback, you know, we lift almost every day, right? And mm -hmm. we're, we're always, you know, this past year, uh, you know, with Trevor, I mean, we love to get in there and, and grind it out. But if you look at the way we lift during season versus what you're talking about, right. I mean, there's never a time where I'm ever, you know, doing anything more than 135, you know, just right. something that just feels like a little bit of some sort of load management, Activate but it. Right, right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But we're never reaching those things. And this is probably the first time because it's been such a long off season that it's like, okay, you know, we can get to those points because, you know, it's not like the season's bearing down on us anytime soon. So right. um, I do think it's interesting also where, you know, in high school and stuff like that, you were squatting big weights during the season. Because, PR, yeah, you, yeah. you just thought that was going to get you more prepared to go play on Friday, you know? And right. it's like, that's so far from the, you know, you're trying to, you know, I think that there's a point where, and I don't know if this goes on, you know, historically, but I know now there was a shift in my career where lifting and working out and all that stuff took a drastic change from I'm here to get stronger to I'm here to prevent injury. And I think that's like the biggest change because if you're there to get stronger, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a power lifter, with being, right. you know, a right. bodybuilder, that type of thing. If you're there to get functionally better or, you know, for us, they say the best ability is availability. So if we do all this work and that's great, but you can't play because you're hurt all the time, well, you're no value and you're not going to have a long career. Right. So I think that there's kind of that that middle ground, whether it's throughout an athlete's season. I think that young athletes can start implementing that into their 
you know, into their uh, year round schedule. Um, the only issue, and I don't know what your advice would be, but I know that I have, you know, young cousins and, and they, they are multiple, you know, multiple sport athletes. Yep. And I remember when I was growing and going from a basketball court to a football field to a baseball diamond, um, you know, you're growing and you get, you know, your shins are hurting, your, you know, your ankles are hurting from changing surfaces, from changing cleat, from changing games, you know, right. you play 14 games in football and playoffs end and you think, oh man, I'm in great shape. And you go to basketball practice and you realize you're not, you're not in any shape. Same, destroyed, right? Yeah, you're not in any shape, right? <laughs> or like same thing, you go out to baseball and, you know, so um, I don't know how, honestly, I don't know how, if I took what I know now, I could go back and do that because I've fallen so much into you know, the flow of having uh, an off season, having a preseason, having mm-hmm. a season, having a postseason, having an off season. And it's, you kind of get in this cycle and you have this routine, but um, I, I don't really know how, and I don't know how you guys did that growing up, but um, it, that, that seems to, and I think that that's probably more applicable to a lot of people that listen here because, you know, there's a lot of young athletes that are like, yeah, I understand that, but the second our football playoffs get over, I'm late for basketball practice. And, you know, once basketball gets over, I'm late for track or for, you know, baseball practice. And then the summers, I got all these other things going on. Right. So how do you how do you do that, especially when you're up and coming? So great point, because that's, you know, we face this on a daily basis that, you know, a kid will come in and train for three months and it's like, okay, season starting, and then they disappear. Right. Right. And it goes back to, if you don't use it, you lose it. So if I've just gone through this whole system of learning how to move better, be more explosive and do all these things. And then I stop practicing those movements, those go away. And so how do you do this? Well, it's just like you were talking about, like, you know, and, and just about any professional athlete will attest to this, that when you're in season or even just as a pro, you typically don't go after lifting like a house anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't do that. Right. And the reason for that is the power lifting aspect of it, just like you were talking about, that the amount of load and pressure that I am putting on my body as a power lifter and its singular plane, that nowhere in any sport, rarely are you actually just going in a single line up and down, not even in golf. Is he running all over the place? No, of course not, right? but his feet are planted, but he's still rotating and going through a different plane of motion. And so there's not much from a powerlifting standpoint or an Olympic lifting standpoint that can emulate all of these things. And that's where it comes down to it's, it's not necessary for me to go out and especially as a young one to come in here and deadlift 200 pounds all the time. Once in a while, if I'm strong enough and I move well enough, yeah. But what really comes to importance is getting the brain to understand why I need that strength, why I need that load. And that's where we come into the plyometrics that we do, the abs that we do, and it's all in one set. And that's why it's coupled like that. And we had a a little coaching meeting afterwards, today's workout, and we, you know, how we went from single leg to, to a plyo, to, you know, to a depth drop, to a box jump, whatever. And so we were talking about, I said, okay, like a bottom squat as an example. So what are we doing in a bottom squat? Okay, well, we're getting into full extension of the glutes and the hamstrings. And then we're going through flexion of the hip flexor and we're only moving four to six inches. Well, that six inch, when we come up at that six inch movement, that's about where people play defense, right? That's about like, Mm -hmm. if you were to just go ham on the golf ball, that's even lower than where you would go there. So now it makes you... One of the biggest problems that you're watching people swing is they don't actually get into their glutes, right? Mm-hmm. Well, why? Because it's uncomfortable. But if you've trained yourself to go beyond that, then that resting point of that six inches, that is your brain going, oh, man, I'm comfortable here because I just went all the way down and came back up. Okay, so now we've got that situated. So now your defensive position, your swing just became more comfortable by getting into some type of flexion from the ankle, knee, and hip, right? Well, we follow that with the depth drop. Why? Because in the depth drop, what's happening? I'm making contact with, I'm stepping off of a platform and I'm landing on the ground and I'm trying to be as soft as possible. And as soon as my foot makes contact with the ground, I'm using my glutes and my hamstrings to stop that momentum. And that's why those two exercises are coupled together. And then you move on to a pause squat. Well, a pause squat's one of the best movements that we can do from a weight standpoint to increase the vertical because we go to zero and we stop momentum. And then with load, we have to come out of it. So that's why we use box jump with that one, because it's the same idea, right? We're trying to create that vertical momentum from nothing, 
Okay, so now we go into a speed squat, eccentric squat, where you're going down slow. So you're trying to get into the perfect position, nice and slow, about a four second countdown, and then you ballistically drive out of it. And that's why we do a depth drop with that one, because it's all about transition of speed and transition of load. So when I come off the depth drop, I'm stepping off the box, I'm hitting the ground like the depth jump, and then I'm jumping up like it's a box jump, just like I just went eccentrically down and then drove out. And that's why those types of things are coupled together. It's the same thing with the deadlift and the clean and all those things that there's ways to emulate it. And the reason we do that is I am never going to stand in football, in basketball, in soccer, in track, in whatever, whatever. And my feet just planted on the ground and I don't move in any direction. I just go up and down. That's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what do I need? I need to do something that gets my brain to wake up and go, oh, that's why we need that strength. And that's why we go through these different ranges of motion or adding in a rotational box jump or adding in some type of med ball exercise or shoulder exercise because the shoulder from a nerve perspective is connected to the hips. So then you go full range of motion there and then the brain's just getting overdrive all this information of how to move so that when I go into a sport, when I go into my everyday life and I'm trying to reach something at the top of my closet and I can't, and, oh, and then you fall and you get hurt. Well, if I have a better situational awareness of what's going on and my body is in a better understanding of why I need this functional strength, then I'll probably balance a little bit better with my abs and my shoulder will move up better and I can extend off my glute, my left glute to push into my right hand to get me in a better position to reach that thing that I was trying to reach and I'm not going to fall. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's it's understanding those concepts and then programming them that programming them together. So whether using a bar or 135 pounds, or 225 pounds, or 300 pounds, the function is the same. And so as a young athlete, if we're going through these progressions, and this is why, like we were talking about the online app kind of mm -hmm. thing, that you can do this stuff at home and there's videos to go with it. So it's like you have a coach in your pocket. right? And so, yeah, if you're busy and you're traveling all over the place, or maybe you don't live in Bakersfield and you can't come to a place like this, you know, there are ways that you can get coached on these kind of things and that it's important to go through these planes of movement constantly. And again, it doesn't have to be heavy load. And like you guys are talking about, when you become a pro, especially during the season, that's just not happening anymore, nor should it. Right. You're taking enough pounding right. out there playing. Right. You're absorbing enough force already. We don't need to add 400 pounds to your spine. That's just not necessary. But the movement pattern is. And that's what I can't stress enough, that when we're training like an athlete, it's really about the movement pattern. And if we're at a point during the year that you have the ability to throw some load on that thing mm -hmm. and nothing's going to get in your way, then yes, let's go for it. Let's add load. Let's make sure that we're lifting and we're strong. But that, that strength also comes with speed because that's ultimately what it's all about. Then we're in a good position, but it's just not necessary. Like you're talking about the confusion that people go through of, well, gosh, you know, I just don't have enough time to get into the gym. And I, ah, gosh, you know, it's just too much. And well, it might be too much. What if you just spent 30 minutes, right? Just 30 minutes and go through these ranges of motion and make sure that your knees and your toes and your hips are in line, that your spine's in a good position. You know, all of those things play. And this is something that you can do year round. It, it's no longer to the point where we have to worry about plateauing because we're not worried about the strength level. We're not worried about the one rep max right now. We're worried about the movement pattern and the movement pattern. It doesn't matter what time of year it is can be worked on. Right. It's almost like the foundation of the house, right? I mean, absolutely. You're building that. And then, you know, the stronger your foundation, then you can move up in weight, essentially, which would be, you know, a larger house to stick with that analogy. But it's like, you know, if you can repeat that movement, almost like you're saying, you probably go through these same workouts with your body weight and still be improving you know, at a different time in your season, because at the end of the day, it's not about the weight on your back. It's about, you know, producing the same movements and being able to get in those same positions. Right. I think there's a, there's a, there's like a misconception out there that kids shouldn't work out. Right. Like my yeah, parents, stunt your growth my parents didn't really that. know yeah. anything about like weightlifting or anything. So they mm -hmm. never pushed me to do that growing up, but they've heard if you do that, it's not good for you. Mm -hmm. Right. But it sounds like everything you just, you just described would be great for a kid, whether you're junior high, elementary, high school, and you just change your load depending on how old you get. Right. And learning to move and move better is never a bad thing. Yeah. Right. I mean, I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old at home and they're doing squats and push-ups all the yeah. time because they see mom and dad doing it. 
And so they're like, dad, watch my squat. Dad, watch my pushup. Dad, watch me jump off of this and land. And it's like, well, yeah, if you're going to do it well, then I'm all for it. Right? right. But it's, you know, am I allowing them to do anything dangerous? Are they grabbing kettlebells and throwing it over their head? No. But are they going through the movement pattern? Yes. And that's a really important thing. And it's an important concept because you could be a little kid or you could be in retirement age. Right. You can still do these things. And yeah, there's this misconception that you shouldn't work out up to a certain point. And then once you get to a certain age, you shouldn't work out like that anymore. And then we get into the treadmills and the ellipticals and all this stuff. And that was the the man that was in there this morning. One of the issues that you, you got to understand, and we go back to the vestibular and depth perception thing. If you don't use it, you lose it. So if you've ever been on a treadmill and you get off the treadmill and you get kind of that like lightheaded, like, oh my gosh, what was that? You kind of take this little wobbly step, like your legs are turning back on. Well, that's what's happening. Yes, you're moving, but you're not actually moving physically through space. And so I get onto the treadmill and my depth perception's off. I don't need it. My vestibular system is off because right. it's a perfect step every single time. There's no anywhere. variance. Yeah. You're in the same spot. You're just right. You're not exactly. Going so yeah. there's no need for those systems to be at a super heightened position. So now I step off and I actually have to move through space. And it's like, oh my gosh. Oh, right. So then, okay. It One of the things about the treadmill is, or the elliptical is that it's low impact compared to being on the ground. Right. Here's the problem though that now people walk or run solely on the treadmill versus actually going out into the world and doing it because they don't have time. Well, would it be lower impact than, say, if you ran on grass? Well, it all depends on how you move. Yeah. Right. So if I only go onto the treadmill and Disclaimer, I've created there this, there are zero treadmills in A3. Yeah, <laughs> and that's one. one of the first things people say. There's no ellipticals. There's no treadmills. There's no, like, no, no there's not. Cardio in here. Yeah, right. Do you guys not believe in cardio? Yeah. Up and down the track. <laughs> oh, believe me. You'll, yards you'll start track. sweating. <laughs> you know, so it, it comes down to that is that I've created this movement pattern that is false on a treadmill and then I go walk around every day in my work shoes or whatever, and I wonder why my back hurts. Well, I, why isn't my heart rate getting to where it should or whatever, whatever, whatever. And it's like, well, because you're not actually running. That's part of the problem. So right. you're not getting the benefit of all of the systems turning on. Spatial awareness and everything. Absolutely. Moving forward and yeah. Doing right. Work. And it it's forgiving. So. Mm -hmm. When I do that, now all of a sudden I might rotate externally a little bit with my foot and then we can go on and on about the ankle joint and how important that is and you know how the nerves travel from the bottom of the foot. You got 200,000 nerve endings on the bottom of your foot that travel up, go into the brain. The brain feels that signal, shoots it back down, tells the body what to do. Again, at 268 miles an hour, right? Yeah. So you make mm -hmm. contact with the ground, nerve gets sent up to the brain, goes, okay, well, there's no obstacles here. Uh, we're not really moving anywhere. So we're just going to do this because it's the easiest. And I'm going to conserve energy doing it. And then all of a sudden I go out to walk normally or run normally and it hurts. Well, yeah, because you have created a movement pattern, right? That I've taken 10, 20, 100,000 steps on this treadmill in the last month. And then I go out and try to do it. Well, you've already defaulted. It goes back to the idea of standing like a ballerina to fix my spine you've already defaulted into this movement pattern and then you try to go use it. Well, now we're in trouble. And so it's learning, relearning really how to walk, how to, how to move, how to engage your pelvis and do all those things that we talk about all the time. And that's a really important thing to understand that, you know, the better that you understand the force that is entering into your body, the better off you're going to be. And that's where, you know, a lot of the times we talk about wearing minimal shoes, but getting to a point where, because you know, one of the things that has been an issue in the fitness industry is people want to wear barefoot shoes. Well, they go from wearing work shoes and super thick soled shoes and they go, oh, well, I'm going to wear Vibram five fingers and I'm going to run a half marathon now. And then they rip their legs apart. Well, yeah, that is like never <laughs> squatting before and throwing 400 pounds on the bar and say, I'm going to squat this good luck. Right. I mean, it's the same thing. And so if you don't have the, if your foot doesn't have the ability to absorb force and feel the ground, because you're used to wearing super cushy shoes, and then you go to wearing nothing, that's going to be a huge issue for you. But what's one of the first things people do when they get home, they take Just off their shoes, shoes and they go, Oh my 
gosh. So why aren't we doing that more? Why aren't we treating our feet like that throughout the day? Why aren't we using those 200,000 nerve endings that we have for communication on the bottom of our foot Mm -hmm. to feel the ground better so that our brain gets a better understanding of where we are in space so that I make a better decision on the way I move? Right. They even got these things where you can stick between your toes and it makes them flare out, flare out like this and people people like sleep in them. Wow. And it's it's supposed to just like make your, your legs not, Exactly. Okay. Yeah, so like, think like about not, yeah. not cramp up or not. Right. Like, okay. So now go faster. back to the idea of what if you were to just wear a shoe with a wider toe box so that when you walk around, your toes can spread out. Yeah. Well, I, I remember I, I switched to the Vivo barefoot like four years ago. Right. 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 And this is back when we, we were like running a lot. Mm-hmm. And I just went straight from a regular shoe to running a lot in Vivo barefoots. And I'm like, damn, my. Yeah, but it hurts. I bet. But then I'm like, yeah, you, like dummy, you can just like go go straight to the wolves. Yeah, like build right. your way into it. And but now that's all you work out in. That's all I work mm-hmm. out in. Yeah, right. Yeah, and now, now we're having this conversation about shoes. What was that last week? He yeah. was asking me about these if I prefer these, and I actually worked out in these. If you guys don't know, I have like these big platform <laughs> Nikes on, and they're good for walking if you're gonna walk in. But when we're lifting, jumping, and stuff, I like to switch to my V rooms. Uh, you know, with the big toe box, yeah, the my, minimals. Foot, my yeah. foot opens up. It's easier to jump. I like to feel the ground and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've gotten to a point where I, I can't tell you the last, I mean, I even have my dress shoes that are like the Vivos and stuff like that, that yeah. are super thin because I can't even wear thick heeled shoes anymore. Thick soled shoes. It drives me nuts because I can't feel the ground the way mm-hmm. I want to. And so I start, like, I start feeling pains in my foot and my ankle that 15 years ago, I probably wouldn't have paid attention to. I just thought I was tight. And now all of a sudden, you know, it, now I go, oh man, this, I need to take my shoes off and walk around. And you guys will see me do that at A3. I'll just take my shoes off and kind of walk around my socks a lot just because I want to feel the ground. And then we start talking about, you know, how that interprets up into the functional movement. So even look at power lifters. A lot of them will lift with their shoes off so that they can feel the ground. That's an important thing. You go into a competition though. It's different. Now we wear the platform shoes and they're higher in the heels because it makes you get into easier positions. And when those people are lifting a thousand pounds, yeah, I mean, that's a whole different thing. I wonder how different women's ankles are that wear four inch heels a lot compared to (laughs) people that don't. Okay, that's a great point, Manav, because there's actually been studies that have gotten, have been done that it actually shuts their glutes off. Oh, I bet they hate to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Right, because think about it. Think about my ankle position. Right. Your right. your glutes oh. aren't working as hard as they would if I were to get full extension of the Achilles tendon. But the Achilles tendon is shortened. Therefore, I'm going to walk in a certain way. So, yeah, it might make your calves look a little bit better because they're pushed right. up. Yeah, yeah. But when you're walking, they're not working. They're not lengthening hmm. so that there's the no strength. Right. So when you start talking about that kind of thing from a functional standpoint, if I'm wearing heels all the time or I'm wearing shoes like you guys are wearing where I can't get full extension because there's a drop, it's the same thing. It's just way more drastic in a woman's heel. But when you start thinking about that from a standpoint of Achilles function and arch function, right? Now, all of a sudden, I'm going to start the lymphatic system is going to start sending things down to those areas and I'm going to get little knots and I'm going to get little issues and tightness and my Achilles, the arch of my foot's going to be all, oh, this, oh, my foot hurts so bad or my calf hurts. And then you release the arch of the foot and you go, oh my gosh, my calf doesn't hurt anymore. Does not feel good. No, it doesn't By feel good when it's happening. <laughs> no, not the, at all. The release of the yeah. arch is yeah. the worst. Yeah, totally it hurts. Way. But it works. <laughs> yeah, it does. It totally works. Yeah. And that's the whole point of it is that if we can get, because again, now you go, Let's go full circle now and go into an athletic movement. And let's go for you. You grab the ball. You go into a drop back. I mean, your your Achilles is getting lengthened because of the position you're going into. For and sure. then you have to push off right. and drive through. Same thing with you're doing. Same thing, changing direction for AJ and doing a speed turn. It's all the same thing. That if I have trained my Achilles to stay short and I have trained it through all of my lifting, all of my running... And, even talk about last year when you got your ankle hurt. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons you say it didn't really get exploded is because of that. Ankle tilts, for sure. Right. You yep, know, and, and having that. that range of motion in that area, Achilles was long, the yep. ankles were good, they were mobile. Mm-hmm. So when you get hit and something happens to you, because of all this type of training that you do, injuries don't happen as drastically. We don't blow out Achilles. We don't blow out knees. We don't do those things. And if my... Like, for example, if I'm wearing a high heel, my glutes aren't used to turning on all the way. 
I'm not going to have that musculature that I want. And that's the crazy thing about it is, you know, the, the old advertising thing to it is like, you know, if a woman wears a heel, then everything looks better. Well, no, in time it won't. Mm. Well, in the moment it does. Exactly. It looks more expensive. Can we, can we uh, talk about like balance and how important that is? I know oh, we've been man. talking about I like could, how to train like an athlete, but I know we had a couple dozen football players in there and they were all familiar with the, the back squat, the clean, you know, the bench. But the balance and reach, mm. <laughs> I, I promise you, all of them struggled to do it. And the weight wasn't a, it wasn't a lot, but just reaching down into the inside foot, all of them struggled with it. Right. And I couldn't I couldn't understand what it was. I'm just like, why are you guys so adept at doing everything else? But just the simple stand on one foot, reach down, balance and reach. Why are you having trouble with that? So Did you got the, the cross system, huh? Did the VOR system. That's part of it. Yep. It's part of the VOR. It's that cross symmetry thing that, you know, you don't really think about that. If you're right-handed, most likely your left leg is your dominant leg. Most likely because everything you've done in life to, to create force with your right hand, you've had to use your left to step into it. Right. And that's where all the force gets absorbed. So we think about producing from the right leg because you're pushing off with your right, but you're absorbing into the left. And that is what is creating the most force, which makes it the most stable and, and being able to control the most weight. Okay, so now we go into balance and reach. And what that is, if you're standing on one leg, let's say I'm standing on my left, I hold a dumbbell, kettlebell, whatever it is in my right hand. It even could be with no weight. You could just be holding a tennis ball. And the whole point is to engage the ankle, the knee, and the hip while keeping your spine in line and squatting down on one leg and basically touching the front of your toe or the outside wall, inside wall behind it if you want to get a little advanced. Um, and the issue for that is most people have only trained in that linear fashion, right? They've only done double leg squats or box jumps or deadlifts or cleans. And really what it comes down to and why I, I stress on that kind of stuff so much is that tell me one time in your life where you've only stayed with perfect balance on both feet. Mm. You haven't, right? Or why do we do everything every day? Well, when in your life have you ever only done legs? Right. Ever in your life have you ever only used your arms? It doesn't happen. So why aren't we working that entire system all the time for the core and strength coordination of it? So that's the issue with the, the balance and reach. And one thing I like to tell the coaches is don't allow somebody to practice falling. So if they're going into a balance and reach and they're constantly falling all over the place, stop them, put their other foot on the ground to start them and give them a kickstand so that they can put 70% or 80% of their weight on the dominant leg and work the squat without falling. The better you get at it, then you can take the other foot off the ground. But we don't want to practice falling. Just like in the squat, you don't want to practice sitting back into your hips and then rotating your toes so that your upper back rolls a little bit. Because then the first thing you would do, AJ, as a defensive back, when you go to make contact with somebody, you're going to roll your upper back, your head's going to drop and bang injury. Right. Or right. same with you. You're going to roll your shoulders forward when you're trying to throw instead of being tall to get your elbow up. I mean, right. it's all those little things. Um, I know that. We only got a couple of minutes, but I wanted to ask one thing, and I think everybody's got their own little perspective on this, but what what would you recommend to an athlete, um, whether he's a professional or a high school athlete or whatever, um, that in addition to working out, mm -hmm. um, what types of activities could they couple with their strength training? I know that you've recently talked about a different way of training. Um, I know that there's you know guys that prefer boxing. A quarterback that I played with last year would like to um, you know, just hand-eye coordination, move, move, you know, his feet and be able to box a little bit before we'd go to practice or before we'd, um, play a game even. I, what kind of things do you, would you recommend or have you guys done that, um, that, that you've coupled with your workouts in order to, um, that you felt like helped you, uh, move forward in, in your sport? Uh, for me, definitely meditation and yoga, Yoga kind of ties everything together, mm -hmm. works on mobility, flexibility, helps you recover faster, quiets the mind, all that good stuff. So and I th think those two are huge for me. I want to, I'll let you continue. I think a lot of people get a misconception of yoga. Oh yeah. You know, I think a lot of people, they hear yoga and they think kumbaya, stand in the corner and just stretch your hamstrings. It's not it will absolutely and it's not, not easy. Yeah. <laughs> yoga is an amazing tool. I mean, it really is. It's uh -huh. an amazing tool and there's so many variations of it. 
you know, from hot yoga to uh, to basic flow to, yeah. I mean, you could go on and on and on with all the different variations, but yeah, I agree. Yoga is, is huge. is a huge thing. Yeah. I sure. mean, holding warrior one for a minute might be harder than squatting 400 pounds. I, you know, so my decal, that guy Bart, I was telling you about, so we were working out just a quick story and he puts me into that position, you know, put my, uh-huh. is it warrior one or warrior two? Your arms are warrior up. ones like that. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you're leaning into the front leg, back leg is straight. And he like kept pushing me lower and lower and lower and put my arms out like that. And he says, and your hips are just shaking. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh man. And then he goes, all right, I'll be back in four minutes. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. He goes, you're going to hold that for four minutes and Good then we're going to switch. That was one of the worst pains I've ever felt working out yeah. was just holding that position. And that's body weight. Right. And that was one of my first like aha moments of understanding movement was that anyway. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, I was going to say yoga too, but, um, things that I like to stress are like foot and hand dexterity. Yeah. Like, like no doubt. those nerve endings on the bottom of your foot. Like I was constantly rolling out my foot so I could feel the ground because my feet were my lifeline. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was telling my knob the same thing when, like when I had wrist problems, I would work on my hand dexterity. I would go to a masseuse and let her open up my entire hand. That way my forearm, my wrist would be relaxed. And I would do, uh, you know, like sand workouts and stuff to get my hand used to, you know, clenching and stuff to bypass all that the stuff I had in my wrist. But those things are probably the things that I would say for like a young athlete to focus on because those are the things that they're not going to tell you to focus right. on. Those are the things you have to figure out this is what helps me. This is what works. Yoga is one of those things is a great tool to use, but coupled with that, like I said, rolling out my feet, foot and hand dexterity are are always been huge with me. Right. I imagine the 20 year ago statistic of how many professional athletes incorporated yoga into their (laughs) regimen versus now, I would say it's exponent. I mean, it's not even close. Think about Herschel Walker and Marcus Allen. They Mm. did ballet Mm. ahead of their time. Way ahead of their time. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I I just know that there's, you know, a lot of people that they, you know, they look at other activities and want to, you know, I mean, if you're always trying to improve, there's there's other ways to do it. You don't just have to be a gym rat. And and honestly, I don't think you would ever recommend for somebody just to sit in there and lift with a bar all day long. But there's plenty of other things. Yeah. And I've always been a big proponent of doing things that challenge you. And I think you do a good job of that, Mm -hmm. of, you know, playing as much golf as you can, because it's not your main sport. For sure. And then you play with a guy like this that, I'm t- it's a challenge. A huge- <laughs> exactly. He wins sometimes. But yeah. you know, it, it comes down to the I think idea. I lunch like the last four weekends, but I'll keep doing it till I beat him. And everybody's gonna know when that happens. Right. But, but that's the whole point. Is you know, you, you get to a point where, and, and I've gotten to this point in my career where I really like to encourage doing things that are challenging. That could be fishing. That could right. be. Uh, gosh, I could go down the list. But one of the biggest things is working on the mind and and reading yeah that that really took over for me in my mid-20s that i had a coach introduce me to like reading books that challenge the way you think Mm. and that changed me as an athlete because it made me a heck of a lot tougher because all of a sudden you know you go through these mental exercises of going through these different scenarios and now when you get into these workouts you get into a game or a stress or a or a meet situation a, a tournament situation where things are just against the wall and there's nothing else you can do about it. And if you've gone through the mental exercise, like you're talking about meditation, it's the same thing, but I like to do it through story. I like to read about things. I like to read what other people have done. I like to read about history. I like to learn about those things because ultimately now I have something to fall back on mentally that I know I can get through this. This is not that hard. This is a competition and I am stronger than you, and I will beat you because I have the mental fortitude to do it. I know I put in the physical work. I know that. That's never going to be an issue. But what have you done mentally to prepare you for that moment where your physical skills do not matter, and it's all about what can you handle upstairs? And that, for me, as I've gotten older, has been one of my number one go-tos, is train your mind. Train that thought process as much as you can read, 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 listen to podcasts, whatever, whatever it is, even if if you don't feel comfortable reading that much, how are you going to get better at reading? If you don't read, read, how are you going to get better at throwing? If you don't throw, Throw. how are you gonna get better at running or swinging a golf club? If you don't do those things, you have to challenge yourself to do those things and put yourself in those positions of challenge as much as possible. And I was one of those kids. I didn't, I hated reading. 
I never read, never, ever, ever. It wasn't until my mid twenties where I really started getting really interested in reading and it has changed me wholly, not just as an athlete, as a coach, as a husband, as a father, it has completely changed me. And, and I think if there's anything you can do in your off time, even if it's not physical is sitting down and learning something and challenge your brain to rethink things a different way. And that's, that's a huge thing outside of, you know, if you're not very good at basketball, spend a couple hours in front of the hoop and learn how to shoot. Right. If you're not good at swinging a golf club, go to the driving range and figure it out. You know, these are things that the better you get at solving problems, the better you're going to be under stress. Yeah. I think that's one of the most addicting things uh, as a competitor, as an athlete, is when you find something that you might not be any good at, and then you yeah. see a little bit of improvement. No And then doubt. you surround yourself with people that are better than you at that. I think that's like my obsession with golf is the same thing. It's like, I just enjoy being really bad at something you know what i mean it's like it's like you, yeah, it because it gives you a chance to improve but you yeah. see a little bit of improvement yeah. and then you're addicted to that little bit of success and then you yeah. want to redo that and then you find it okay why did i not do that and then you have somebody that knows exactly just by watching what you did wrong right tell you that then it's almost like oh man all right i want to try it that way mm -hmm. and then and i think that you know to go full circle about training like an athlete i think that's one of the most addicting things of when you start training like an athlete because no matter how athletic you are the first time you actually come in and you start warming up a little different and then you start working out a little bit different, you're going, man, I was a, I thought I was a really good athlete. And then mm -hmm. I started doing this stuff and I feel like I'm a beginner. Right. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. Because now you're going to challenge yourself. Now you're going to start focusing on the form. You're going to start focusing on that functional movement to make that better. And then you will get stronger. All right. All right. It's almost like you're reborn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially when you see a 45, 50 year old, maybe woman that's been doing those workouts the same way and she's kicking your butt and you're like, <laughs> right. how, wait, hold on. And then you realize, you know, she's trained there for two or three years. Yep. She's just using her body differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's like a my mother-in-law is a pretty also. good example of that. Yeah. You guys have all seen my mother-in-law work out mm -hmm. and you're like, how old is she? And like, right. oh, I'm not going to tell you her age, but she's older than you. Right. <laughs> she exactly. pushes, pushes through it too. She's oh exactly. yeah. She's yeah. tough. Very tough. Right. Exactly. Anyway, yeah, that, that was a good conversation, fellas. Thank you for that. I think we uh, we could probably sit here for another five hours and talk about all this with the different sports and oh, look at the time. different examples. But anyway, thank you for joining us. We had a good time today, and we'll be back next week. Appreciate it. Thank you. Oh.